0: Oh! Oh really <laughs> <brilliant>. <laughs> really
1: Hello everyone, welcome to Round the Core Squash podcast Mazin Hesham woke up the squash world when he announced on Twitter Or asked the question on Twitter rather Was US College Squash good for the tour? Our usual panellist, Chris Sackley, who's a former college recruit He played number one for Cornell for four years And is now the squash coach at Columbia Stuart Crawford also went to college, amazingly, uh, in Edinburgh, got got himself a nice degree, played a professional career and is now the squash coach at Penn. Myself, I played in the tour for 14 years, let's be honest, I probably, it wouldn't have done me any harm to go to college, but there you go. Life is okay, so it's all good and we're delighted to welcome onto the show again, Amanda Sovey, who's a Harvard squash legend, the current world number seven, is not doing too bad. So, uh, all right, let's get stuck in. (sighs)
2: Amanda's also the exception that proves the rule according to Mazin, I believe.
3: Yeah, so everybody, it's funny, because with the whole dialogue and everything, and I've always told people, like, listen, like, you can do both. If you want to do both, and I think that's the main thing, if people actually are interested and have that work ethic where, hey, like, I want to try and be... um, a professional squash player one day, you can make it happen. Um, it's the mindset. I mean, I wanted to go pro Victor, wanted to go pro my, I, but my sister who's on the pro tour, she took a totally different path And I think that if she went full, like straight onto the tour and didn't go to college, she would be burnt out hundred percent. Wouldn't even touch a racket, like hate the sport completely. You have players like Gina Kennedy, Lucy B. Croft, who didn't really play much um, pro tournaments. Gina didn't play any pro tournaments during college. And now she's on the pro tour. And even in the pandemic, yeah, maybe she could have been able to get into the platinum events. Um, So she's going to have to like wait a little bit longer until she gets into tournaments, but she's going to rise up in the rankings. Um, And so we all kind of took these different paths. And it's funny, I when just reading the comments, everyone's like, well, Amanda and Ali are the exceptions. Amanda and Ali are the outliers. (laughs) So we can't even put ourselves in the category where we went the college route and then went on pro because apparently we're like, we did it too well. We're too successful at it. We're not like the general population. Um, So I just find that a little bit comical where I can't even say, yeah, you know, we did it, like, look at us, like, we've been successful at it. Um, It shows that you can do both. And so why not do both?
2: I think an important point there was that even if you take you and Ali, who have been held up as the examples even you guys did it completely differently because like you say you you played a lot of PSA and I think your ranking was still in the top 20 when you graduated whereas I
3: graduated at 10 so yeah yeah
2: whereas Ali did almost the opposite he was at Harvard for three years and I don't think he played any PSA and obviously it takes a lot longer for him to climb back up and get into the big tournaments where he's he probably could have been sitting at like 30 in the world maybe even inside that but it's not held him back he's Mm -hmm. He's doing just fine. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't see the argument that college squash can be bad for the game in any way, I, even having read Mazen's thoughts.
3: Yeah.
4: One of the one of the comments in there from Mohammed El-Sherbagi was that, you know, players come to school and they, they, like, they aren't supported by the schools to play professionally. Um, obviously, Amanda was able to do it. Ali probably made the choice to do it. I think the key there is it is very, and, and Amanda can speak more on this. I didn't, I didn't really play many, um, many like tournaments outside of college when I was in school, but um, it's challenging. You have to work with your teachers. You have to work with your coaches. Most coaches I think are, are pretty willing to say like, oh yeah, go get some awesome competition. Like you're going to come back better. You have midterms, you have tests, you have all these things you have to be super on top of and organized in order to make that happen, I imagine. Right, Amanda?
3: Yeah, it, it's tough to balance all that. I mean, it's it's tough in general just to be a student athlete in college. Um, and then on top of it, trying to go play pro tournaments too. and And so then you have to tell your teachers and not your teacher's aren't really going, sometimes they might not be as accepting and understanding about it. And then you're missing class and you have to make up class or, if, um, you have, you still have papers, do homework, problem sets, everything. Like, so it is, it is really tough to balance it all. And, you know, for me, when I was at tournaments, if I wasn't playing or practicing, I was doing work. Um, and that's like, that's tough to do. It's not for everybody, and some people may just want to focus on in college life um, and all of that, and then think about going pro. Um, I do think like it's been. I think this conversation has been good because it it did, it does raise awareness of maybe bridging the gap between college squash to pro squash and encouraging more players to maybe give it a go and hopefully finding ways to get the pool of people that are in college and are thinking about pro, but don't exactly know the process of how to get their, like get their feet wet in it and possibly like, get a few tournaments under their belt and get a ranking for me. I knew that I wanted to go pro. I wanted to keep up my ranking. I didn't want to start. I didn't want to graduate and have to be like ranked 40 in the world and then not really make the big tournaments. And then I'm kind of like, just, yeah, that would be terrible,
4: them. graduating at 40 in the world, though. <laughs> 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 okay,
3: that, let's say, okay, we'll say hypothetical. I thought you were
4: going to say, like, 200. <laughs> <I'm 40. laughs> well, okay, i
3: graduated at I graduated at 10 in the world, so I was trying to have, like, a gap here. Yeah, yeah. Let's so say for the average squash player that um graduates and has no ranking. So you're starting off at, like, the 200, 300 guys are, like, 500s you're, you're gonna spend the first year out of college just barely trying to get into tournaments. That's it. And you might have to go to like random locations just to find any 5Ks that you can get into because it's so tough. And I think what helped me out a ton was to make sure that I got my ranking up. So when I did graduate, I kind of bypassed all of that.
1: Speaking from a kind of different perspective of someone who didn't go to college. And just listen to you talk, Amanda, about, you know, managing your schedule, you know, coordinating with lecturers and coaches at Harvard and, and uh, you know, traveling around the world and playing these events. I didn't do any of that. And I had so much free time as an 18-year-old. My activity during the day was I'd send a postcard at lunchtime. You know, I literally, like, <laughs> I was just to just to pass the time. And I just, there's a lot to be said as in, well, for me personally, you know, if I look back and I had this conversation with uh, Wee Michael Craig, who's at Trinity, shout out Mike he asked me as a 17 year old who was about to take a gap year if I could do anything differently what would I have done and I would have been to go to college and the only reason for that mainly was because it took me four years well actually maybe a lot longer than that but certainly a couple of years to a get strong enough physically to understand who I was because I did everything on my own as an 18 year old like everything I did was like you know, figured out of myself. And I think as a young person, if you have those access to resources and some of the best coaches in the world and the standard is so high and you've got physios and trainers to access, it can only be a good thing. It can only be a good platform to not only discover who you are as as an individual and a squash player, but to give you the tools to excel when you do get on the tour. Look at you, how well you had to do to manage all your schedule and stuff like that. That has got to be an asset. And then listen to you talk about doing homework, in between matches. I mean, the only thing I was doing was counting how many speckles there was on the roof lying down and there was no laptops back in those days. So you weren't exactly blessed with Netflix. <laughs> so Sudoku books.
2: <laughs> I love the idea, Arthur, of, uh, student athletes, like staying up all night doing 2000 word papers. Meanwhile, you're trying to think of your 50 word postcard. <laughs> oh no,
1: 50 word is generous. It's like three sentences. Hey, how you doing? I'm in Bradford. It's great.
4: <laughs> um, So what Arthur was saying, talking about those kind of first four years out of high school, trying to become a pro. So one of Mezen's big points was, you know, would people not be stronger squash players if they spent the four years on tour? And I think that's a hard argument to argue against. I think a lot of people probably would be stronger squash players. I also think not not as many people would uh, kind of to your point, Amanda, about Sabrina, potentially, I don't know how many people would make it four years of trying to, there's a lot of people that aren't ready to, to kind of live that life and to be like constantly beaten down like going to these five K's playing top seeds, getting beat, you know, maybe not physically mature. So a lot of people might not even last four years on the tour where I, I think is one of those, one, one of the areas where that argument breaks down.
3: Yeah, I 100% agree. Also, like, okay, maybe just for a personal experience for me, when I had the choice, when I was a senior in high school, I was at like 17, 18 in the world at the time. And I was doing pretty well. And I started to have like a little bit of that early breakthrough and everything. And people, some coaches were like, no, no, why is she going to college? Why is she going to college? Like she's got to go pro, you know? She's just, her rank is going to drop or her level's not going to be the same. She not, won't be able to improve. My parents always have been education comes first, no matter how good of a squash player I was. It's education comes first because at the end of the day, you don't want to put your eggs in one basket. Um, and I think just having an education, not only like, helps you in life but you're just you learn so much as a person in those four years of college who you are it makes you so much stronger the fact that I had to go through balancing school squash academic social life all of that stuff and put in this like academically like rigorous intense environment oh showed me so much of like how strong I am as a person, taught me so many skills, everything. So when I did, maybe my ranking didn't shoot up as um, fast or as high as I could have been if I went on tour, but it's taught me so many more skills and made me so much stronger as a person and a player for the long run. And I think that's what the thing, like you have to think big picture here. And I think what Mazin um, with his argument is very much like right in front of you. Um, short, it's pretty short-sighted, like small-minded. It's not thinking big picture collectively as a whole for the sport, how to grow it, the avenues, like player, player development, um, and everything.
1: Yeah. Even just the personal growth as well.
3: Yeah. A hundred percent.
1: Geez, I remember Mary Gaskin telling me the same thing when I was 18. you got to not put your eggs in one basket and get you an education. We went in one ear and out the other.
2: <laughs> I, th- I think that period is so crucial as well, because it's, even if we take the, the benefits that you're talking about out of the equation in terms of like learning to balance different things, getting a first-class education, um, going to a great school, the, the most difficult period in any squash player's career is that transition from juniors to seniors, which just happens to coincide with when you're usually in college. So when you're a junior, you generally don't have to worry too much about the cost of tournament entries or travel to events. Your parents are supportive. The junior circuit is set up in such a way that there's a ton of events to play and everything's kind of there for you. Now, once you go beyond that into the PSA tour... A, you're becoming more independent. Uh, you may be considering moving out and living on your own. You're probably trying to uh, be a bit more financially independent. And I know for me, it's a lot easier to convince your parents to con- continue investing in you if you're also studying on the side. Like Most parents are not willing to just throw you money to go and play squash and chase that little dream that you have. But they probably will support you to study while you also train like a professional squash player and get an education on the side. And I think the other thing is knowing whether you're going to be good enough to be a top PSA player at 18 is really hard. There's, There's probably four or five players every year that you could say straight off, well, yeah, he's world junior champion or Amanda, you obviously were world junior champion. But unless you're making semis and maybe quarters of world juniors, there's absolutely no guarantee that you're going to be good enough to make it at that level. But if you put in the work for four years, first of all, you get a sense of whether that's the lifestyle that you want to pursue, like whether you enjoy the training, you enjoy the process of getting up and pushing yourself every day, or whether it's like, actually, no, I'd rather go into business, I'd rather earn more money. But it's a lot easier to make that decision accurately in terms of your potential and your ability and the fit for your lifestyle at the age of 22 than it is to make that same decision at 18. To me, it just seems like such a huge gamble at 18, whereas at 22, you probably know yourself better. You've had this additional life experience. You've enjoyed partying, probably. got that out of your system. Because that's another thing. Like, 18-year-olds, it's really hard to be dedicated when you're suddenly living away from home. You've got all these new friends. There's opportunities to go to parties and start experimenting with alcohol and things like that. Like, if you do four yeah. stu's, stu's <laughs> rubbing it in our face that yeah,
4: yeah. he got it out of his system by 22 and he's making fun of us at a yeah. man, yeah
1: you so never get you never um, get it out of your system you just you just enjoy more
2: i've given up drinking by 20. <laughs> yeah.
1: um, that was that's your path but,
2: but you just you learn so much about yourself to the point where i'm sure people making that decision at 22 don't view it as as much of a risk as they do at 18. Um, yeah so, it's way
3: like more of a choice at 22 and when- people graduate because they've gone through those years they've kind of developed as a person they have options and I think that's that's the whole point that I kind of made is that with college squash like it it provides you options you know you're not just saying okay well I'm going pro and like this is all I have so this is all I have to do so it's almost like I'm playing out of fear a little bit um and it's like if you do make if you do go pro without going to college or playing college squash and say you know you do that for a few years what if you realize you don't like it or you get injured and then you're like it stops and you can't play and all of a sudden it's like well shoot what do I have like I don't actually have that was all I all I did like I don't know what else to do
1: I mean I suppose we're all going against Mazum's thing and maybe just to go on his side just for a little bit and to play devil's advocate I mean I know at 18 as much as I joke now. I would have liked to have gone when I look back. But I was just thinking, just live the dream. Just go for it. Granted, the standard of college squash. So it certainly wasn't as, what's the word? can't think of the word. You guys got college degrees. Help us out. Visible
2: or prominent.
1: There you go. It was neither of one of those two words. And if If you'd gone to college,
2: you could have come up with that word yourself.
1: See, that's why I'm here with you guys. It wasn't as
4: much of a stepping stone either, Arthur, to your
1: point. Yeah, it was. It wasn't I'll, I'll
4: seen. break it as... down with stats
1: when you're done. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing those stats. But uh, I mean, even in, in like my slightly older generation, like had people like Daryl Selby who went to college. And I mean, granted, it was in the UK. Anyways, they, I, neither here nor there. Like it, it wasn't seen as a, as a way. But I do remember thinking, as 18, my mindset was that uh, if I went to college, I was going to have a nice party lifestyle and. I probably would have stayed away from the tour. I would have played for fun and maybe tried to play for Ireland or something like that. That was my personality back then. It was all or nothing. So I was either going all in for squash or I was all in for maybe not necessarily study, but certainly college lifestyle. And so for that, for me personally at the time, for who I was back then, it was probably not the worst decision in the world. Because if I didn't do it then, I probably wouldn't have done it at 22. But then in hindsight, I look back and think actually I probably would have. (laughs)
4: it's it's yeah it's tough in hindsight i i would have loved to have been able to do it for a couple years but um one of the one of the things i think college squash does too is it's a measuring stick so like the point of a lot of a lot of top juniors in different countries would be going pro instead of going to u.s college squash that's true i don't think there's any guarantee that any of those players are going to really make a major breakthrough and actually earn a living from playing squash professionally. Um, and, and so like, I think college squash was a bit of a measuring stick. You see people a few years, it's the first time you're kind of playing against people three, four years older than you. And, and then a couple years younger than you. So when you've got guys a little bit older than you that are stronger guys, a little bit younger than you, that might be stronger. You're like, okay, so am I just really going to jump out into the into the PSA, um, when I know maybe it's not really a good career choice for me, um, or most people don't do it, do it for the love of the game, um, for sure. And I would have still loving it, but, uh, it's a tough, it's a, it's a tough jump once you've kind of like had that chance to measure yourself and, um, unless you're at the top.
2: Yeah. You you were talking earlier, Chris, about really interesting, Case study, I guess, from when you were a junior, where half the guys that you p- grew up playing with in Canada did pursue PSA and didn't come to college, and then probably another half went to college, mostly in the U.S. And yeah, just how that worked out.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's it was honestly about three and three within the guys that were on like the Canadian junior squad in my era, um, and uh, a few of us, a few of us are coaching squash um a few uh some of the guys that that played PSA right away uh I don't think many of them played for more than four or five years to be honest and um and then they started coaching I obviously obviously went I went straight into coaching after playing college squash um and then a few guys played college squash Colin West, Dave Letourneau um to name a couple and they played for you know a year two three years after college and, and gave it a run um they they lived in the same house with uh another canadian legend matt Srediak, that they called the house of broken dreams because um everyone who moved in ended up playing on the tour for six to twelve months and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then quitting or getting injured um so shout out to the house of broken dreams we had some good times there um yeah, but so 07, uh, just to kind of give a little perspective, and it's it's very different on the women's side as well. So 07, 2010, um, Miranda Ranieri, Canadian, uh, who won the individuals in that era. I know she played professionally. She played for Canada. I didn't recognize a ton of the other um, women's names in that era. There might have been a couple other that played professionally, but then you have like Millie Tomlinson and Catalina, right before Amanda, Danielle, Kansy, Olivia Victor, Marie Stefan, Rehan. Um, so that then that was kind of like that el- 2011 to 2014 area is when you started to see more women playing professionally after. Um, and it's kind of similar in the men's. Um, 2007 to 2011, I was reading off some of the names earlier, but I'll just kind of read off countries. Like You had the top Canadian, Malaysian, Israeli, South African, Swedish, Mexican, Indian, Pakistani players. Like, you had guys from all over the world that were probably top one or two in their countries. And then, um, you know, out of that list, there was only a few that actually ended up playing after college, um, including Gilly Lane. Shout out, Gilly. Um, but But then you started to see in 2011 kind of a lot more Egyptians, a lot of international players actually going to college, then playing. So you have Farag, the Khalifa brothers, um, uh, you know, Todd Harity, uh, Chris Hansen, Nick Sackfy, Chris Benny, uh, tons of guys, Vikram Aholtra. So, um, and then now the new era with Victor, Marwan, Youssef. So, and the new era of, of women's players that are just, kind of in college and graduating so there's so much more PSA potential in college squash now so you might have made this argument 10 years ago in you know 2010 that going to college wasn't a good stepping stone but I think it's really like really being proven otherwise right now the people who want to do it are having a chance to do it better
3: yeah I think yeah I think it's become a great stepping stone, especially like that transition from being a junior to wanting to make that jump into the pro level. I think too, with Mazin's discussion, I think he brought up the point that if the tour would be a bit more diverse, um, if players didn't go to college in the U S and went straight on tour, which I don't necessarily think is accurate. Um, too much but just would love to hear your guys thoughts on it because I think he is making the argument that it would be a bit more diverse uh, especially at the top of the rankings since Egyptians are pretty much the dominant country and the tour is just flooded with a bunch of Egyptians and so college squash is hurting the diversity of the tour of having more um, players from different countries like being up there in the top of the rankings
1: he's like I would say Egypt are probably yeah, responsible for that for being so bloody good and having so bloody many <laughs> money. of them.
3: Like, <laughs> you just just need to stop producing players. Yeah. Well,
4: you, you have a chance to live at home with your parents, right? If you're if you're if you're in Egypt and you have access to the, to great coaches and great players at your doorstep. If you're from most other places in the world, you have to travel, which costs a ton of money. And from eighteen to twenty one like we were saying, how many kids are going to make enough money to survive on the tour if you don't have a nice setup so you have to you have to leave home, you have to pay for coaching, you have to do all this stuff like none of that was factored into to that argument, right like
1: um and why is it just u s squash college u s college squash England like because if you look at the top players in the world, uh, I mean obviously Amanda you've got a degree, you've got your sister, Gina. Then on, on the men's side, you have Ali Farag, Mohamed El-Shabaghi, Marwan el Shabagi, Daryl Selby, just bound to be a couple others. I know Joel Macon went to college. I don't know if he finished. Um, I think back in the day, Linku. Linku.
2: Um,
1: Martin Heath, when he was like four in
2: the world, was one of the few players at that era that had a college degree. That's definitely something that's changed now. I actually remember my first experience of College Squash was I played the World Juniors way, way back in 1998 when I was at Princeton. And I came over and was just blown away by the facilities, the, the whole setup. But So I was 17 at that point, and it never even occurred to me that I could consider playing. Uh,
1: that means you're 40 now, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, it does, unfortunately. <laughs> but I, I think going back to the, the point about Chris, you were making about how college squash has changed and more players are pursuing it. I think that's also a reflection of better players are coming to college. I think that sort of 2000s, probably through to like 2010, around then, most of the top juniors in the world were not coming to the US to play college squash. So a lot of them, therefore, weren't going on to play on the PSA tour after it because they weren't probably capable of getting to the very top. A lot of them probably could play on the tour and set around like 50 to 100 in the world I'm sure but
1: but can we also add into it, that as well that the standard of the juniors in in the US has just improved astronomically over the last 10 15 years yeah it has um, yeah the college game is now also
2: attracting some of the best juniors in the world not all of them because you still have people like Mustafa Asal and i guess someone like Sam Todd or Diego you know, yeah, Diego, that they just go straight to playing pro and they're obviously at a level where they're capable of making that transition pretty quickly and being successful. But for most players, that isn't the case. Most players would be playing on a tour for those four years and struggling to make a living. And I, I don't understand why they wouldn't go and play college squash if they get that option.
3: Exactly. I think like there's a few there's probably a handful of players maybe on the men and women's side that are just exceptional in juniors and they can, and you see the potential that they can make it on the tour and get up there in the rankings relatively quickly that maybe just going to college isn't the right path for them, but for the majority bulk of the players, it's, they're not sure. And, you know, they, they, they're very much on the fence of whether they want to go pro or not. And so I think going to college in the U S playing college squash, getting that exposure of what um, squash is at kind of that professional level. Cause the, the depth is so strong now. I mean, the fact is that like you have the players in college squash, they're like top 40 in the world and they're great players. You're attracting some of the best juniors in the world. And so it is, a great kind of step up to what like Chris said, like measurement to see where you're at. Like, Oh, can I actually do this? And you might get that bug of like, Hey, you know, I really enjoy this. I, I do want to give it a go full time once I'm done studying and actually like dive all in, but you've gotten that exposure for the last like four years, which I think is phenomenal.
1: You guys all have been there for Amanda and Chris as players and Stuart, you as a coach and, I did a wee stint at Brannock. It's such a positive environment, isn't it? It's
3: fantastic. Yeah.
1: yeah. And I think the, the team element of College Squash
2: is something else that I think is invaluable. Not that it necessarily helps with PSA because you're obviously playing on your own, but it's so unique to play in a team environment. In Squash, you grow up playing in individual tournaments um, as a junior, and a lot of your junior career is spent trying to, like, not just beat the other kid to do better in the tournament, but also to impress college coaches. And Amanda, you can probably speak to this, about just how that shifts when you're suddenly part of the team and you feel part of a collective. And probably the only thing that's comparable is playing for your national team, which I know, Arthur, you and I have both had... like That's been our proudest moments as players, I would imagine. And I'm sure, Amanda, you feel the same way. Uh, Chris, do you play for Team Canada? Just juniors?
4: A little bit of juniors and under 23, yeah. But Watch it's just so, so special, like, to be US part college, of... U.S. College squash broke my dreams there. <laughs>
2: I think
1: Menzin you broke right. your own. Menzin
2: was right. <laughs>
1: you were loving life too much.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I feel like college squash is the perfect blend between an individual sport where you're accountable for what happens on the court, and you go on, and you perform at your best, and you can't blame your teammates for for your individual performance, but then you also get to be part of a bigger outcome in terms of uh, the team result and also the daily sort of interactions with your teammates at practice.
3: Also just the pressure of college squash and having to learn how to play a match when it's for all and it comes down to you and you're the last one standing and you have your entire team they're supporting you they're like that's a high pressurized situation so to be able to develop those skills and get that experience helps so much when you go on to the pro tour when you're kind of like playing imagine it's two all and you're like okay like I've actually I've been here before with like this pressure plus more because it's not it's no longer just about me. Like I had to, my whole team relied on me. Like my coaches relied on me. My, the school relied on me. Like you're playing so much more than just yourself. And so just having that experience of being exposed to that kind of pressure helped. Like there's, I just generally do not under, there's no bad aspect of College squash like hurting your game on the pro tour, other than the fact that maybe you might have excelled a little bit faster up the ranks.
2: I love the fact that the person that never lost a college squash match in your life is talking about how hard the pressure was to
4: deal I, with. I was about to say
1: three love and what, 18 I was
3: about, minutes. I, was I had a different kind of pressure. I wasn't about to lose a match or a that's, game.
1: Geez, I almost thought
2: my that's, opponent was going to get five points off me in a game. Yeah. It's like it was so tough.
1: I was Just having little memories of being too old and thinking if I lose this game, the rent's not going to be paid next month. Really, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: I, was, I was gonna say, Amanda, Amanda was did have the pressure that, um, you know, she was never expected to lose, but I'm like, yeah, Amanda, imagine me not being 10 in the world having all that pressure on me. <laughs> I know, I, know. I <laughs> can't
3: uh, imagine that. It's it's, oh, it's
4: it is, it is, a, it is, uh, like even playing, I remember playing you know, senior nationals in Canada when I was in college. And it really didn't feel, it didn't feel like any, any pressure whatsoever compared to a big, a big college match. Um, uh, So I can see how, I can see how useful that would be on the tour. One of the, one of my goals for 2021 is not to uh, just complain, but look for solutions guys. So I wanted to, (laughs) one thing that's been popping up in my mind as we've been discussing this is the health, the health of the lower end of the tour is definitely something that's not up to par. Um, knowing a lot of these, like a lot of these college players that we were naming before are in that kind of tier, that 50 to 150 range. And, and um, I know with my brother and tons of other players, it's hard to find tournaments and. Um, you get you get some really high you get some pretty high ranked players that are kind of looking for prize money, uh, in in smaller tournaments. So it's hard it's really hard to break through. And there's just not that many mid sized tournaments. So there's a bunch of 5k's, a bunch of 10k's. I think it's really hard to find 25, 50k, um, you know, uh, stuff in the middle between these platinums. So like that's another reason probably why more people aren't doing it is one. It's really challenging to kind of find a path to improve, like to show your improvement because the, the tournaments can be challenging and expensive to get to. Um, and there's just not that many. And uh, I saw Mezen say something about kind of comparing tennis or soccer and how, how competitive it is to get to that level. It is for sure, but there's so many like small tours and European hockey and European basketball that you can make a professional's salary and live a pretty good life um, by playing on those professional tours, where, you know, that's 75, 80,000 dollars or whatever, uh, call it a year, up to probably 150,000 dollars a year to play, play a sport you love and not at the extreme highest level. But that doesn't exist in squash.
1: Yeah, but squash is also like, I hate to say minority sport, but it's certainly a smaller sport. So you can't really compare. You can learn like squash, sports like squash or that are in that spectrum can learn from sports like, like soccer or football, hockey, basketball, like major sports that have huge financial structures and major corporation sponsorships that, behind them. Like we can learn from them, but you can't. I find it very hard to compare them it's almost like you're trying to compare a, you know, a very strong established company like a JP Morgan with a startup company as a bank. I, I, I can't think of anything else. It's just kind of like coming into my head. And well, I agree, but there's
4: opportunity to play your sport for a, like, and make a decent living, not at the highest level. Right. In yeah. in all those sports, yeah. we're yeah. like, we're not going to have three, four, we're not going to have a European tour North and, you know, squash kind of has that all under one umbrella, but, How do you, how can you make, you know, you can't make a living being a North American and flying over to Europe for tournaments constantly when the, when the prize money for winning the tournament is two grand. Right. Um, So like, how do you, yeah. I mean, it probably comes down to like regions beefing up that, that lower end of the tour. I think, you know, squash is definitely getting healthier on the higher end of the tour, but until there's more opportunity, for those people trying to break in and, and maybe they'll never hit, you know, the top 20 in the world, but at least if you can make a, you can make a, a living and, and keep yourself afloat, I think more people would be doing
2: it. I think that's another reason why the U S is such a good option though, because one of the few places that does have those sort of mid-sized or smallest tournaments is the U S so, um, college squash players can go off for a weekend and play like a 10K or 20K event in the US. And there's not many other parts of the the world that offer as many opportunities for players to play those events. Um, Just one of the things I found really interesting about Mazin's argument was that it's okay to... He studied in Egypt and the Shibagis studied in England and that was a really good option, but the US isn't. I don't (laughs) quite get the logic there
3: for an education he's just not for college squash
2: yeah um, exactly
3: which I, yeah which I, I find funny so he's all for like people going getting an education everything but just don't want to play college squash
0: so.
3: <laughs> um but what you were saying chris about having more opportunities it's actually been something i've been thinking about um just because i love the marketing side of the game and trying to grow the sport through that. And it is a big issue. And I I was, I've been talking to like in terms of us squash with building the, the specter center and everything. And it's okay. That's great. You have like us five players who are going to be there, but like, how are you going to build those five players to then make it appealing for more us players to want to then go pro and the five turned to 10 and the 10 turned to 20, and now you just have, like, this great environment of players playing pro, basing themselves at the Spectre Center, almost the way how, like, Egypt has a bazillion kids at these clubs playing from a young age, and then, of course, the filter feeder system go up to the pro level. But it has to, there needs to, more needs to be done, I think, of... Almost like selling the idea of wanting to go and play pro to these college players. And it's like selling it, recruiting almost, and then having during maybe like spring breaks or having weekends of like a college um, player type training camp where they you have them come down to the Spectre Center. They train with us pros, see what it's like to train at that environment, surround yourself with that high performance pro players and kind of like get that squash bug. Maybe during the summer do collegiate, like a week of collegiate training camps, like where us pros are there too. They're interacting with us. They're hitting with us. They're really seeing what it could potentially be like as a pro player. And then have during the summer... You know, have a few tournaments that maybe U.S. Squash puts up at the National Center that are 5Ks or 10Ks for these college kids almost to actually play in these tournaments, get a ranking and be able to slowly develop a ranking throughout college where then by the time they do graduate and want to go pro, they have a little bit of a base instead of starting like, oh my God, I have to start from ground zero. And then you spend like the next year trying to just be able to get into those mid-level tournaments, to be able to get into those higher ranked tournaments. And you spend like two years doing that grinding, grinding, grinding. And after you do two years of that, when you're just trying to get into tournaments and just get your ranking up into the top 100. And after that, you're like, well, why am I doing this? I've just spent two years not making any money. There's no incentive, really, when I can go get a nice job and make a high five-figure salary.
4: Yeah, I mentioned that to these guys. I think with the level of college squash going up, there's going to be a need for more tournaments in that May through August window for Mm -hmm. people to play. And and right now that's not, there's not a ton. Um, and in, in like sports, like, you know, baseball has a couple, like college some, their big time is for college players to kind of develop as the summer they play in these like, you know, semi-pro or whatever college leagues. And, and so there's definitely a lot of room for growth in our sport, but as always, it comes back to to money, right? Prize money, like tournaments, sponsorship money, prize money. But, um, It could be a smart thing for people to start hosting some of these five Ks in the summer instead of in the middle of the winter when there's a lot of competition going on. So.
3: Hundred percent. Yeah, that's yeah, I've been saying that um, a bit, and just finding a way to help these players that are wanting to go straight on the pro tour, and it's almost like it's almost scamming the system a little bit um, because you're putting these tournaments in the summer, which are the dead zone that maybe people might not be in the U S. So it's like tailored a little bit more to kind of the players that we want to be able to jump up in the rankings. Um, But I think it's a great opportunity that needs to be done. Mm
2: -hmm. You get that already in Australia, actually in the summer, because a lot of players just starting on the tour, especially when they just graduate college, go down to Australia for a summer and play like four or five events if they can. Actually, that's where Arthur and I first met, was, was out. In,
1: Remember, uh, like it was yesterday still. Oh, man. I know.
2: Romance, exactly. huh? I wasn't 40 then, that's for sure.
1: No. Nor was um, I close to it.
2: But yeah, that, that yeah. obviously costs a lot of money. And if if US could replicate something like that, um, I know Lifetime has a really good series of events, and maybe they could s- switch their series of tournaments around so that it's more summer-focused, that might be an option. But, yeah, just providing those competitive opportunities would be a really useful solution. And I'm sure players from not just the U.S., but Europe would also be willing to travel over and play in those events as well.
3: Plus, you're getting so many of the international college squash players that end up staying in the U.S. over the summer. So it's like if you have a training camp at the Spectre Centre and then tack on at the end of it uh, a 5K tournament, like – you're going to get loads of people and it's going to be stacked. And I think it's a great bridge for that transition period for people to see what it's like to be on the pro tour, see what it's like to compete um, at a higher level and what it's like to be all in as a pro.
2: One point I wanted to make just about, I guess it's in support of Mazen's argument, but it's not really. Um, but I I see it quite a lot across college squashes. I think one of the biggest factors that determines players that go on and play pro post-college is the quality of coaching they receive for those four years and the amount of development they're able to make. And I definitely, from an outsider's perspective, notice certain programs that are consistently developing their players from the age of 18 when they start as freshmen through to 21, 22, where they have players that are capable of going and competing on the tour and i don't really want to do too much to shout out harvard because they don't need any more help but to me it's no surprise that players like yourself and victor and uh, ali have worked with mike way for four years um and you can see the, the development that you guys have made in your game um Mike obviously has an experience working with Jonathan and other top pros, so he knows where it takes to get to that level. But it's very obvious to me that some programs are much better at developing their players, whereas other programs recruit really talented players. But four years later, they're not any better. And sometimes their motivation and desire and love of the game is probably less than it was as a freshman.
4: You've got to say those Um, names too now since you said Harvard. Which
2: program? <laughs> just just, yeah. just uh, uh, But there's definitely some programs in my head that consistently fail to develop players that I think could be good enough to go and play college squash when they, uh, sorry, pro squash when they graduate.
3: So, what um, would you do then to change it? I, I think there is an
2: element of um
4: certain, for certain people, the stress that comes with college, the stress that Amanda had to figure out the stress that everyone has to deal with. It really negatively impacts their squash game.
0: Yeah.
4: Um, and, uh, my brother was one of those guys and I'm sure he'd be happy to admit it. Like, you know, individual finalists as a first year didn't really have as much success, um, kind of moving on, even though, you know, his, his squash probably never, um, you know, totally went downhill. I think it's just the yeah, super competitive environment um, in terms of the academics, and I guess some people do struggle to to keep that balance as well, and it it shows in their squash. So,
1: any final thoughts, Amanda?
3: Gosh, I mean, I could literally talk about this all day, um, but it. I think I'm I'm glad that Mazen put this out because I think it it brought up a lot of awareness on the topic of how we can improve the college squash system to, I wouldn't say improve, but it improved that gap between college squash to pro squash. And how do we get more college squash players to want to go pro? Um, and how do we make the tour a bit more appealing to these college squash players? Um, so I think, it's generating a lot of good conversations out of it. Um, so I, I'm glad that he put it out there. And it's been very, very fascinating to read everyone's point of view on Twitter. Um, I love my social media. So I've been just having a field day about it.
1: Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, thanks very much, Mana, for joining us. Oh, That's episode me. 50. Couldn't have had a better guess. Thanks, Mazin, for uh, giving us a good topic to discuss. Wasn't she on episode one as well? Seven.
3: I was on a few. Few, yeah. 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 There you go. Hopefully, this is this isn't the
0: last.
1: No, no. Yeah, by recurring guest. Yeah, recurring guest. What, what was it? Chris you always say because you've been on it more than yeah, twice. legally
4: that, she's you, legally she's obligated to come on anytime.
2: Anytime we ask. ask. Yeah.
3: There you go. sounds <laughs> um, good.
2: So episode fifty,
4: we all, use, we all use six pack of White Claws, Amanda. When we see, yes. it. <laughs> All right,
3: let me just uh, win a tournament first. <laughs>
4: Sounds like a good plan. Yeah, okay, yeah. Good luck. Uh, good
1: luck in the upcoming events.
3: Thank you.
1: Thanks again, Amanda. So episode fifty in the bank. If you like what you hear, check us out on social: Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And no better way to sign off in episode fifty than a Charlie Blasberg tune. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> I miss squash.